Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. It's September 20th, and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For a discussion of all things queer, she chose a new lawsuit challenging LGBTQ plus discrimination. For our conversation of all things sports, we're talking about the race of the MLB playoffs. And for our topics at the intersection of sports and queer, we're talking about the postponed gay games. After that, we're going to share our interview with the Potomac Curling Club. First, an update on Team DC. Next Monday, September 27th, is our quarterly sports council meeting. We encourage all member clubs to send a representative to these meetings. Invitations have gone out via Evite to team reps. And if you need any more information, contact Laura at teamdc.org. On October 9th, we'll celebrate the final Pride Night out of the year with the Washington Spirit. The game is at Audi Field at 7.30 with a pregame party at the Heineken Rooftop Bar in Audi Field starting at 6.30. Tickets can be purchased at teamdc.org. And join us at Dodge after the game for a post-game party and get a free beer when you show your game ticket at the bar. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and in all your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. Now, here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. All right, for my queer topic this week, we're going to talk about a new lawsuit that challenges discriminatory practices against the LGBTQ plus community. A lawsuit filed this week in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York accuses Aetna of discrimination against LGBTQ plus people by forcing them to pay more out of pocket for fertility treatments. The plaintiff is a New York woman who, along with her same-sex spouse, is enrolled in Aetna's student health plan for Columbia University, which provides broad coverage for assisted reproductive procedures such as intrauterine insemination and in vitro fertilization. The policy at issue provides immediate coverage without any out-of-pocket cost to people who attest that they have had unprotected heterosexual intercourse for 12 months without a pregnancy resulting. But it, quote, requires individuals who cannot conceive through intercourse due to their sexual orientation or gender identity to pay out-of-pocket for 12 cycles of IUI before Aetna will provide them with coverage for fertility treatments. The plaintiff is currently pregnant after her sixth cycle of intrauterine insemination, and she is outraged at having had to pay $45,000 out of pocket to get pregnant because of this discriminatory policy. The lawsuit 
alleges that, quote, Aetna's discriminatory policy is an illegal tax on LGBTQ individuals that denies the equal rights of LGBTQ individuals to have children. The suit continues, quote, at best, these individuals incur great costs due to Aetna's policy language. At worst, these exorbitant costs are prohibitive and entirely prevent people who are unable to shoulder them, disproportionately LGBTQ people of color, from becoming pregnant and starting a family. The suit seeks to change Aetna's policy and also seeks punitive and compensatory damages for the plaintiff and others who have been affected similarly. A spokesperson for Aetna told Reuters, quote, we are still actively investigating the facts. Aetna is committed to equal access to infertility coverage and reproductive health coverage for all of its members, and we will continue to strive towards improving access to services for our entire membership. So Gabe, what do you think about the lawsuit, and is this the next area of LGBTQ plus civil rights that we're going to be seeing challenged in the courts? Yeah, so this is a, a new story, and I'm kind of glad he brought it up. This is kind of crazy. I'm, I'm glad I don't have that now, <laughs> because this is kind of nuts. Like, the, the fact that the policy states that you have to have had unprotected, unprotected heterosexual intercourse for 12 months and without getting pregnant um, as a, I guess, like a part of the policy is kind of nuts. Like, yeah, I, so to be clear, this lawsuit is against Aetna, but I think this is pretty standard language for the major health insurance programs. I have a lot of friends who um, have been victims of this exact language in other major healthcare policies. So I don't think this is a unique to Aetna. It just happens to be that the plaintiff who brought this Like the first ones or- That's their yeah. Uh, insurance, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's pretty typical that the major health insurance providers all take the position that if the reason you are not able to get pregnant is not a medical reason, right? If it's not an like a medical infertility, um, then it's not covered. So if you are unable to get pregnant because of your sexual orientation or gender identity, they don't consider that medical infertility. But I mean, I'm even thinking about like, you know, straight couples, like what if your husband or your partner, you know, um, can't have children or what if it's like really hard and it's, it's just, you know, whatever your medical issue that you have. Um, so, just... yeah, I mean, look, I assume that they have exceptions to the we've been trying for 12 months. If but it's not working, been... but we've been trying. But how do you know? Like, so I'm assuming that if a doctor confirms that you are medically unable to conceive for one reason or another, you probably can get around the 12 months or speed that up. But regardless, yeah. I mean, so like any any uh, straight couple can manage the 12 months of unprotected sex, I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't think that's a very big barrier, right? Yeah. Um, pretty crazy. Though. This has been going on forever. Um, and it's wild that nobody, I mean, you have the language right there in the policy says you have to be heterosexual to apply for it to apply for it yeah it's it's like it's written in the language it's not it's not inferred it's no it says it there yeah so it's absolutely crazy that nobody like previously noticed this and thought oh this is gonna be a problem for us yeah i mean that's what i'm trying to think like how old is this language like is it just well, never been challenged or updated or is it no, now i think it's relatively new because it wasn't that long oh. ago that even straight people had to pay out of pocket for infertility <laughs> that's not like i don't think it's that old so it, it's like why it's just it's crazy the insurance industry is the craziest place on earth <laughs> statement is we are actively investigating the facts 
Sir, what facts? What fact? Language. It's written in your policy. The facts are in the language of your policy requiring oh, no. sex if they want health care. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. I hope they're investigating involved going into the bedrooms of a bunch of straight people and confirming that they did in fact have 12 months of unprotected sex and they <laughs> I was like, we need to know. We need we need to make sure. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to start policing people's activity in the bedroom, it's about damn time somebody did it to the straights. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so good on this lady for starting this lawsuit. This is a problem that has been plaguing people for a very long time. It is ridiculous how much money um, gay couples spend on trying to have a baby. Oh, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, I mean, honestly, $45,000, I like. I don't think it's fair that this woman had to pay that, but it's a lot less than a lot of people that I know have spent on uh, their fertility treatments. So this is crazy. I'm glad that it's um, that there's a lawsuit. I'm glad it's in the Southern District of New York where they have some decent judges that um, hopefully will do the right thing with it. It'll be very interesting in the coming years to see, you know, what happens. We've been sort of spoiled the last 10 years or so with a pretty liberal Supreme Court so that we could actually make advancements in civil rights through lawsuits. I'm not confident that that will continue to be the case for the next 10 or 15 years. And this may be one of those areas that until we pass the Equality Act, um, we don't get any relief. Uh, but I do think that this lawsuit has a very good chance of succeeding, at least at the district court level, um, so we shall see. I also think that if this story starts getting a little bit more coverage and we start talking about this more, people can start publicly pressuring the health insurance companies and maybe the lawsuit doesn't have to change because maybe the, maybe Aetna feels enough pressure from the community that they do it themselves and make the right change themselves. So everybody get loud about this, start, uh, Start talking about it on social media. Start adding Aetna. Not adding, atting. How do you say that? Uh, yeah, tweet them and just be like, hey, my partner and I, we've been trying for, for years to get pregnant. It didn't work. Yeah. Or just at them like, hey, assholes, if you use the word heterosexual in your policy, in your... discriminatory. Just a little. Oh, terrible. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on the? Uh... I mean, it's it. it I hope it's it starts with that nub, but kind of goes through like all these other insurance agencies start thinking about like, okay, maybe we should go back and look at our language and check and to see, you know, are we being discriminatory against any population? Which hopefully they're not. Um, I I think it would be very interesting to see how far it goes. You know, yeah. does it go Supreme Court? Is it going to go up and down? Um, we don't know. I mean, you can never really predict something like this or, you know, will the Supreme Court actually take it up? But yeah, I'm like. Well, you know, it, it's 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 really interesting. There's a lot of politics that goes into that, frankly. But yeah, if, like if, for example, the lawsuit is successful at the court level and Aetna is the one appealing, right? The Supreme Court might decide not to hear it. And that's fine because that leaves in place the lower court rulings and that would force Aetna to change its policies, right? Yeah. Um, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Obviously, we would prefer to have a civil rights uh, supportive Supreme Court that would take this up and, and make it clear that this is a civil rights issue and that Aetna has no choice. Um, but I'm not super confident in our current 
justices that that's where it would go. Um, but I'm not sure they want this hot potato. Um, and so not especially after Texas. <laughs> so, if, you know, if they chose to avoid the issue, but the plaintiff won in New York, we'd be, you know, that would be an okay result, not the ideal result, but an okay result. So we'll see. I mean, we're, I think, I still think we're a really long way away from that because I still think that there is a chance that um, public pressure and, you know, if major large employers who sponsor their employee health programs through Aetna or others who have similar policies start wanting to switch you know, their carriers to somebody who doesn't have a discriminatory policy, that could be all it takes to get these policies to change. The problem, of course, is that I'm not sure there's an alternative out there that doesn't have a discriminatory policy. I'm pretty sure that all of the major healthcare insurance companies have this garbage policy. So it'll be very interesting to see where this goes. We have to keep our eyes on this one. Oh, yeah, and I just looked them up right now. They, they, they wanted to wish everyone, Aetna wanted to wish everyone a happy pride in uh, June. Of course they did. <laughs> They're certainly marched in, the, in every fucking parade in the country. That happened. So, yes, th thanks, Atna, for your, your private support. Now show it. <laughs> no, you're the best, Atna. Thanks for that rainbow pin. <laughs> All right, well, this will be interesting. Hopefully we'll get a, an update, you know, probably in a year or two, try to figure out how this goes. But um, what's going on in the world of sports? All right. Well, it's September. That means it's time for the race to the MLB playoffs. As the season heads into the home stretch, the Rays, the Astros, the White Sox, and the Brewers have all basically locked up their divisions. But the NL East and NL, and NL West are still up for grabs. The Braves surged into first place in the NL East in August after a terrible month by the New York Mets, who had held the first place position all season. So far, the Braves are holding to the top spot with the Phillies and Mets not too far behind them. The Giants have been the best team in baseball all season, but still find themselves in the other contested divisional race as they're trying to hold off an incredibly talented Dodgers team that might just be the second best team in baseball. Both of the races for the wild card look like they'll be fights to the finish. In the American League, the Red Sox and Yankees entered September with the top two spots, but have faced consistent pressure from the Blue Jays, Mariners, and Athletics. In the National League, the team that finishes second in the NL West is all but guaranteed the first wildcard spot, but the second spot is wide open as the Reds, Padres, Phillies, Cardinals, and Mets are all within striking distance. Abe, have you been glued to the TV watching all the big games? Do you have any predictions as to how the playoffs are going to shape up, or is the conspicuous absence of the Nationals in the playoff hunt keeping you from being interested? Yeah, to be honest, I've really been catching that much, that many uh, baseball games. Uh, one, because the Nats are basically out. <laughs> so I was just like, eh, well, let's move on to the next sport. Uh, so I've been keeping up with football now. But uh, all I want to say is, uh, even though I grew up an Astros fan, I want to make sure that all the stadiums have no trash cans <laughs> and everything is taken away. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, how things shape up especially with the playoffs and stuff like that, especially with like it being a COVID year and stuff like that and how wild and crazy sports is. Because, yeah. I mean, this is set, like right now we have the predictions and stuff like that, but all it takes is one person to shut the entire team down. Um, yeah, I mean, baseball has been pretty good. I mean, you know, with baseball being primarily played outside and, you know, the, I, I, 
and they uh, were the well, like the first big sport to like come back post COVID. Like I, I think they've been managing the COVID risk better than some of the other uh, sports, frankly. Um, but you know, that always can throw a wrench in things at any moment. And it's funny. And, you know, once you get into the playoffs where you don't have the luxury of having a makeup game six weeks later or whatever, like it does become a little bit, um, more risky. If you do have a COVID problem, you're pretty much done. Right. I mean, what do you think? Giants, Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers. Well, I mean, I think it's really interesting because I really do think they probably are the two best teams in baseball right now, but obviously they can't both win the World Series. They're in the same damn division. Yeah, so who's going to make it? Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, the Mets lost last night. That basically puts them... All right. That essentially puts them out of the contention for that second wild card um, in the East. But, I mean, there's a ton of other teams, like, in contention for that um so it'll be like almost kind of interesting because i think whichever team it is whether it's the giants or the dodgers that make it through uh i you have to assume that one of them is in the nl championship yeah so you think yeah like definitely it's going to be one of those two like it's not going to be whoever ekes through the nl east at this point which is like a bruised and battered division of barely uh capable teams so if they make it, yeah, if that happens, then we should watch that series because it's basically <laughs> going to be it. Yeah, I don't know. The White Sox have had a hell of a year, and I and they like aren't one of those teams that you think of as a perennial powerhouse. I think it'd be interesting to see if they can get hot, you know, and um, make a run at it. I'm I couldn't be more disinterested or yawn hot heavier at the idea of is it going to be the Red Sox or the Yankees pull out that one? Like who the over that (laughs) oh enough already my god um but yeah no so i'm pretty excited i love this you know sort of last couple weeks of the season where like and it gives a team like the nationals who is like out of playoff contention it gives them an opportunity to like play in some seriously important games for the other team right like they can be a pivotal they can be a pivotal uh team in ruining somebody else's playoffs. Oh, chances, definitely. Right? That's one of my favorite parts about the of the playoffs. It's like where everyone's trying to monitor what the other teams are doing because it all comes down to, you know, an extra there's run, only, there's whatever. Only just... right. There's only a handful of games left and I, I have to make up two and a half games somewhere. I'm going to need the person who's two and a half games ahead of me to lose. Like me, I could win all of my games, but if they win all of theirs, I'm not in, right? Yeah. You're going to be out there looking for a team like the Nationals to beat the guy who's two and a half games so yeah i think it does make it makes it even interesting for some of the teams who aren't necessarily themselves trying to get a playoff spot so this is like the best time to watch baseball every game feels like it has consequences i don't know i I mean i will never be surprised at a red sox or a yankee in the playoffs i'll never be surprised um and I'm not going to be surprised this year if a team from LA walks home with a World Series championship um, or from San Francisco. But, you know, the Blue Jays, I think, are the surprise this year. I think, uh, you know, I had all but forgotten that we still had a baseball team in Canada and all of a sudden the Blue Jays showed up. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll check in in a couple of weeks. But I guess at this point, I'm expecting to see probably the Giants and the, yeah, I want to say the Yankees in the World Series. Ooh, so that's your prediction? 
As of today, I think that's where I'd have to go. Giants, Yankees. I'll say Dodgers and Red Sox just to go against you. Of course you will. Of course you will. All right. Well, I do love me some baseball this time of year. And everybody, let us know uh, who your predictions are to be playing in the World Series. We will know soon enough. Um, Okay. So what's going on in the world of uh, queer sports? All right. For this topic at the intersection of sports and queer, the gay games are being postponed. Organizers announced this week that the 2022 gay games, which were set to be held in Hong Kong, will be postponed a year due to COVID concerns. Gay Games 11, the first to be held in Asia, were originally scheduled for November 11th to 19th, 2022, but the pandemic has pushed the international LGBTQ sports event to November 2023. The exact dates will be announced at a later time. The gay games, which are held every four years, celebrate LGBTQ diversity while promoting the spirit of inclusion and participation from athletes around the globe. In August 2018, more than 10,000 participants from 91 countries took part in the 10th edition of the games, which were held in Paris. Commenting on the decision, Sean Fitzgerald, co-president of the Federation of Gay Games, said, quote, the FGG stands behind Hong Kong's decision to postpone the games and will continue to work with the GGHK team and our member organizations to ensure that our event in November 2023 delivers on meeting our core aims of participation, inclusion, and personal best to the widest possible audience from Asia and internationally. It is worth noting that Hong Kong is generally considered an LGBTQ tolerant destination. Homosexuality is not considered a criminal act. And in 2018, Hong Kong's top court for the first time allowed a spousal visa for a same-sex partner. That said, Hong Kong still does not recognize same-sex marriages and has limited legal protection for sexual orientation-based discrimination. Hong Kong is a special administrative region of the People's Republic of China. Perhaps the most significant difference between mainland China and Hong Kong is that the mainland is communist and controlled by a single party, while Hong Kong has a limited democracy. Both share the president of China as their chief of state. However, each has its own head of government. The premier is the head of mainland China, while the chief executive is the head of the Hong Kong special administrative region. Last year, China passed a new security law, which many say is cracking down on democracy in Hong Kong. Many pro-democracy activists and politicians have either fled into exile or now languish in jail. Public protests once were ubiquitous sites on the streets of Hong Kong, but large-scale demonstrations are now banned. Local news media that once critically examined the levers of power and policy are now weakened whether by self-muzzling to avoid publishing criticisms that could catch Beijing's eye, by being taken over by pro-Beijing forces, or by being shuttered outright by the authorities. It is no longer illegal to be gay in China. However, according to the Constitution of China, monogamy is the only form of legal marriage in the country. Same-sex couples are unable to marry or adopt, and households headed by such couples are ineligible for the same legal protections available to heterosexuals. No anti-discrimination protections exist for LGBT people. The government's approach to LGBTQ rights has been described as fickle and as being, quote, no approval, no disapproval, no promotion. So Gabe, what do you think about the decision to postpone the gay games? And what do you think about the gay games being held in Hong Kong at all, given the current political climate? 
Um, kind of like, a, okay, well, like, first off, I think it's a smart move that they postpone the games because, yeah, right now, even with COVID and travel and destinations, it's going to be really hard uh, to get anyone, to get a good group of people going. Um, I know the, the planning, I've been keeping up with, with the, the planning issues and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we can, like, Americans can barely travel to certain countries. So let alone to host, you know, people from all over the world in Hong Kong. Uh, we saw how crazy it was to go to Tokyo for the Olympics. I mean, granted, gay games were not at that scale. It's not that many people, but still, like, travel restrictions and stuff like that. So I think that's pretty smart. Um, Hong Kong is, I mean, I've been talking to some people about, you know, should we go? Are we planning to go? And it's kind of one of those, like, tough ones, like, yeah, it'd be great to visit Hong Kong. And, you know, it's the first games in, in Asia, but, uh, you know, politically speaking, do we feel safe? Would it be safe to go? Like, I'm having the same issues with like some of my friends that want to go to um, the World Cup in Qatar, and we're like, well, because you know the last the world last World Cup was in Russia, and we're like, oh, we're definitely not going to Russia. Right. Like, yeah, we can't go there because we're gay. Um, yeah. Qatar, they're like, oh yeah, sure, uh, well you you know you can go, but just don't be gay. And it's like, all right, cool. Right. They're like, How am I gonna you do can that? go, whatever you do, don't appear gay and stay downtown in one in the one city that like doesn't kill gay people <laughs> you know it's like yeah i i don't know i have a bit of an issue with the whole thing like i think you know it's similar we talked last season about should the ncaa be hosting uh championship tournaments in states that have discriminatory laws against transgender athletes and i think the answer is no i mean if for no other reason the it's a privilege to host the gay game and I don't know how you earn the privilege of hosting the gay games when you are Hong Kong. And it's unfortunate because I think Hong Kong, if they had the, if they had self-rule, I think that the people of Hong Kong would want to uh, grant greater protections to the LGBTQ community and be further along. But as a person myself, I can't, especially with how China is acting in the last 12 months, I don't have any level of confidence that by the time 2023 comes around, China isn't going to have further crackdown on the rights exactly. of people in Hong Kong. You know, it's just, it's a scary proposition. Um, it's one of those things where like, you you know, the, the organizers of the games, uh, when they were awarded them, although I'm still kind of sad because I was on the bidding committee when we were bidding in for what to host them here in DC. Um, yeah. Yeah, they they never thought of that. You know, the the Chinese government was going to be imposing these laws two years after or a year after they awarded the bid. So yeah, it's kind of hard, but it's also kind of like, uh, well, political tensions are super high. They were high back then. Is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I hate to say it, like, because I do feel bad for the people of Hong Kong, but as long as they are part of China, I'm not sure that any gay organization should be sponsoring any major international gay events there <laughs> um, yeah and, and i get what they were doing you know it was gonna be the first games in asia the first games to you know start bringing you know, the inclusivity and the you know diversity into asia and start bringing everything over but it's just one of those tough things of yeah well there are other parts it's of asia, good intention I, but yeah. is now the time to do it there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, we wouldn't be doing it in North Korea. We certainly wouldn't be doing it in mainland China. Like, what are we doing? Imagine. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I, again, my sympathies to the people of Hong Kong for being under Chinese rule. But 
it's still technically a part of China. I, I don't know. I got to tell you, I never thought this was the greatest idea. Yeah. Of the <laughs> um, I think the last year has proved that China is um, flexing its muscles in Hong Kong. And I see no signs that that's going to be slowing down. So personally, I think unless there's some major shift, um, I wouldn't go. But you know, that's just me. I am not trying to discourage anybody else who doesn't feel the same way from going to the gay games. I'm supportive of the gay games as a general uh, matter, but I'm not super supportive of having major gay celebratory events in places where, you know, marriage equality is still illegal, right? Or still doesn't exist, right? Yeah. But it is what it is. Like, I, I get it. I can't be like, it's not as if I'm a citizen of the United States. It's not like we can't get the Equality Act passed here because it's not like we don't have our own freaking problems. We sure, we sure as shit do. But, um, you know, I, I'm particularly sensitive about the idea of communist China, which I find to be a very scary regime. Uh, yeah. Going up and marching through the streets of Hong Kong during the middle of the gay games. Yeah, it's, it's one of those tough things. And I mean, we'll see. Hopefully things get better as far as COVID-wise and stuff like that. But politically, I, I don't think a year is going to be enough for the timing. And also, I mean, they're going to award the the 2026 games probably by the end of the year, I think, is when the vote is going to happen. So, I mean, I don't know. Who are you, who are you excited for? I, and I, I, am, I have a sweet spot for Guadalajara. But I know it's Guadalajara, Munich, or Valencia. So I don't know. Valencia. Maybe the, the... Listen, I think... Um, I don't think we... Well, so the Gay Games was just in Paris, right? And I think so that like part of Europe, which I think Valencia is pretty close to there. And Munich is, is a little bit Eastern. But like still, I, I don't think we need to go back there so soon. So of the three, I would certainly favor Mexico. I mean, um, the first one's in Latin America, so yeah. if so that's, I, you know, that's what the, the plan is, like, you know, diversify and move. Well, I, by the way, I think that's a really great goal, and I think it was a great idea to have a games in Asia. But first of all, it's already, Asia is already so far for people from North America, South America, Central America, and even uh, Western Europe to travel. That's a really long, like, so you're already going to have some difficulty getting as many people that part of the world um and then of course unfortunately nobody could have nobody saw the pandemic coming and all the travel restrictions come with that um so to me it's like add in one more thing which is oh by the way we're doing it in a communist country <laughs> all right hong kong is not a, a big thing <laughs> yeah, in fairness to hong kong they do have their own limited democracy they're doing their best and it's not their fault they don't have self-rule but I don't know, man. Like you got to you telling me like Seoul didn't want to have the gay games. Like you couldn't go anywhere else in Asia. Oh, it bugs me. Um, but yeah, no, I'd love to see a gay games in Mexico. I think that would be. I think that'll be fantastic. I also do think that eventually DC should bid again um, and get a gay games. But it is important that we um, not always center North America and. Uh, Western Europe for these things. So, um, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see how many members Team DC sends. 
kind of, I mean, it's kind of a big deal. I've never been to the gay games. I wanted to go to Paris, but I missed them. And then I barely moved to DC when like Cleveland and stuff happened. So I wasn't fully into like all the sports, but I was definitely like planning on going to a few gay games, hopefully. Yeah. Well, there'll be more gay games for sure. Your chance to go to the gay games is not going to end. Uh, hopefully there's going to be a hugely successful gay games in 2023. We will, we are here for it. Yeah, Laura and I are going to learn how to play curling, which you'll hear soon. That's all about it. Okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of Things Queer, Things Sports, and Things at the Intersection of Sports and Queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with the Potomac Curling Club. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Jason and Laura with the Potomac Curling Club. Hi, y'all. Thanks for joining us today. How are y'all doing? Good evening. Thanks for having us. Hi, thanks. Yeah. Hi. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Potomac Curling Club and about curling, you know? Sure. Um, the Potomac Curling Club is um, located in Laurel, Maryland. Um, it's um, housing only curling. So people always ask, uh, is it on some other type of ice? It's an ice sport. Um, and it, uh, our facility is only for curling um, because the ice is very special. Um, and we host a bunch of leagues, um, league nights, uh, league days, and also a bunch of tournaments, um, including the Glitter Bomb Spiel, which is an LGBTQ plus tournament. All right. So describe for me what is curling. All right. So curling, I hate to use the phrase of like uh, shuffleboard on ice or chess on ice, but think of it somewhat like you're playing pool, but on ice, uh, but also almost a mix of with bocce. Uh, because... Oh wait, so just, I just wanna get this straight. So it's bocce, shuffleboard, pool, what else? Chess. <laughs> Chess, okay. I'm having a really hard time imagining how my brain would uh, be big enough to play a sport that involves all those things. <laughs> It's actually surprisingly simple, but also also complex. Like when you're new, that's why there's the, the skip, the team captain, the one who's doing all the yelling at everyone. They're the ones that it's actually like calling most of the game strategy. But uh, in essence, we are sliding rocks down the ice. Uh, so basically, if you're to look at like a hockey rink, uh, the rock, I believe, is basically going from like goal to goal. Uh, okay. Effectively. Uh, so we're going about that length on the ice. Uh, and the idea is at the end of the end, so basically think of like an inning where both teams have had a chance at bat, but for this it's throwing, uh, that you want to have your rock closest to the center, and you don't want, you want to be closer to the center than your opponent's closest stone, and that's how you score. So only one team can score per uh, each end, and we do typically eight ends or until we run out of time. I got it. What do those guys with the brooms do? <laughs> There's a lot of debate, uh, but we're, we're called sweepers. Uh, and there's two things with it. One is to help uh, sort of clear the path for the rock. So it helps make the rock travel further. And it also helps make the rock travel straighter. Uh, and people who are good and know what they're doing can also help make the rock curl more if you do better technique than I have. 
All right. Well, that is interesting. Um, you mentioned a bunch of league nights. So tell us about all the different types of leagues that you guys have that people might be interested in joining. Uh, sure. So we have anything from something super informal um, that you don't even have to be a member for, um, such as our Saturday morning breakfast um, league, where you just come on a given week. Uh, you have to sign up in advance because there's um, a lot of people who want to try it out. Um, but you come, somebody teaches you how to play, um, you play a little while, and then if you if you want, you can have breakfast as well. Um, and then we have, you know, our, if you're a member, you have social leagues, uh, like your Sunday pizza league or your Friday night league. Um, and then we have, um, some more, uh, middle of the, the road leagues, including like team leagues and like they have a uh, men's and women's league. And then there's your more competitive leagues, um, which are, um, our capital league. So, so we have a whole bunch of leagues. Um, there's actually two kinds of curling. There's four-person curling and two-person curling doubles. <laughs> um, and we have uh, leagues for both. Okay, and are all of them divided by gender? No, um, there is men's and women's league, um, which um, you play with, uh, you, the, there's men's and women's league, uh, which are the only gendered leagues. And then all the other leagues are open. Cool. And is there room for anybody who's, uh, you know, just wants to learn how to play or is like super inexperienced and uh, wants to learn? Um, how can they uh, come out and uh, I guess pick up this, the sport of curling? Uh, yeah, there's actually uh, several ways to come out. So like uh, the Saturday morning, is it still called the Saturday morning extravaganza? I think so. Breakfast uh, extravaganza. Yeah, so that's a really names. great one to, to come out because, I mean, if you're willing to get up early on Saturday morning and come out, like that's a really good time because you get uh, get a decent amount of time. There's generally a few club members uh, and you get a decent amount of time on the ice to sort of learn the rules and also get to play some. Uh, and then since it's the Winter Olympics, excuse me, Winter Olympics are coming up this, this fall, winter, uh, should see a lot of like learn to curl events happening. So people who've never been on the ice and want to have a chance to like get out and try their feet on the ice and see if they like it. Uh, those are really good times to come out and just see what it's like. So this is a, probably a dumb question, but it just occurs to me, just to clarify, you don't wear skates on the ice, right? No, no, we okay. actually wear, uh, a lot of people just wear their tennis shoes. Uh, a lot of the curlers also have, uh, well, I have shoes for curling. They're a bit stickier than regular shoes, so it's a little bit easier to stay upright on the ice. Okay, but you don't have to know how to ice skate. No, so no. usually what you have on one foot is like a Teflon slider, and you slide, like, if you watch it on TV, it's very, very you graceful. Slide down the, you slide gracefully yes. on the ice on your, your Teflon slidey foot, <laughs> and then your other foot um, has a gripper, which is made of rubber, um, okay. so that when you're standing up, you don't fall over. And a lot of times people will put a gripper even over their slider or take their slider off um, when they're sweeping. Okay, so what is a bond spiel? <laughs> a bond spiel is just the curling name for a tournament. Uh, oh. Yeah. All right, well, so then tell us more about the glitter bond spiel because that sounds like it's something that I might wanna do someday. 
Yeah, sure. Or do you want to take this one, Laura? Uh, go ahead. Uh, so the glitter bond spiel is the uh, LGBTQ uh, or queer bond spiel that we have at the Potomac Curling Club. So far, unless someone else has started one, it's the only queer curling tournament in the States. Uh, Canada, they have a lot more curlers and a lot more curling infrastructure. So they actually have like a circuit that goes through for uh, queer tournaments. But uh, right now it's the only one in the US, but it's uh, basically designed to get uh, queer curlers in one place in the States uh, and the queer curlers and their allies all together in one spot because when you go to one tournament, you really don't know if you're going to be the only one in the village that shows up or if, you know, <laughs> half the tournament might be. And yeah. we thought it'd be really good to have one where, you know, when you walk in, you know, you're the majority and that's really something different a lot of times. Yeah, no, that's great. So um, how long have you been hosting the Glitter Bong Spiel? Um, we've had it three times so far. So okay. um, I guess that means the first year was in 2017. Is that right? Okay. Um, and so we've had it three times and uh, this coming year will be our fourth time. Cool. What time, uh, what time of year is it? Um, usually it's in October, but this year we're having it in January uh, just because of COVID. We wanted to push it back a little. Right. And tell us like, how big is it? Where do the teams come from all over the country? Yeah, so we, sorry, go ahead. No, um, so we started the first year, we had 16 teams of four people. Um, and uh, now we've uh, sized up to 24 teams of four people. Um, and they come uh, from pretty much across the country. I think there's a little bit more representation of people from the East Coast just because it's closer, but um, we've had teams uh, from the West Coast, um, including the West Coast of Canada. <laughs> Um, and we've had a team from Iceland come over, um, uh, but but it's it's a pretty good mix of people. So do you need the awesome like curling pants to attend? I mean, it certainly helps. I mean, it certainly helps for the style, and it certainly helps like you feel when you walk on the ice to feel so much more like a badass. But, yeah. Uh, Wait, I don't know about the curling pants. Have you, you not watched the Olympics? The I need Norwegian to know about the curling pants, please. Look at the Norwegian team. Yeah. What uh, material are curling pants? Are they? <laughs> I am picturing like those swishy, like running pants from the eighties. That like design, like awesome diamond pants. <laughs> are they um, like? Is it designed to be like tight to your body to keep you warm and insulated? I'm sort of chubby, so I make a lot of heat. So I just <laughs> wear like regular workout uh, pants because like it's mesh and like I put off a lot of heat. So like I don't need anything else on me to like keep me warm on the ice even though it's right. cold out and there. I, I'm the exact opposite and I have fleece lined pants <laughs> um, because I'm so cold standing out there. Oh well now I'm really excited about curling pants. I need to look up. Um, do you guys have like any cool like matching pants as a team or anything like that? Um, a lot of teams come up with like full outfits and stuff. Um, my team last year we had <laughs> matching um, Georgia O'Keeffe shirts, <laughs> and <okay>. then <laughs> um, one thing that the entire club has is matching scarves. 
that ah, people mm -hmm. um potomac curling club scars that's cool <laughs> it sounds like the potomac curling club needs to get some gear together um maybe some fan gear as well because i'm now really starting to get into curling just by <laughs> this conversation um so you guys are one of the newest members uh, of Team EDC, and we are, of course, really excited to have you. But um, everybody knows Team DC, our mission centers around inclusivity and promotion of sports participation in the queer community. So can you give us um, some thoughts about why you think inclusivity is important to you personally or to your organization? And also talk about whether, whether or why you think it's important for sports organizations to include inclusivity as one of their mission statements. I feel like it's important to the club uh, in the sense of, well, for, for one thing, when we at least even brought up the idea of holding a queer bonds feel, the club pretty much jumped on it and just sort of like, yeah, we wanna do this. And like, it's really kind of nice to like be able to know you can go someplace and have that type of support. Uh, Cause I mean, Curling by and large, at least in my experience, has been very welcoming all over. But at the same time, like, you know, when you see Canada has like all these events and then there's absolutely nothing in the States and there's some, Potomac is pretty queer, but there's still some other pretty queer clubs out there and there's just not. Uh, so it is nice to see that. And it's also sort of nice to put it out there for the other clubs that are, not even other clubs, excuse me, but uh, the other queer members in the curling community who are out there may be the only one in their club, whether or not they're out or not, to know that there is sort of a queer curling community and that they can actually go to an event and meet others who do the same thing. Uh, and I think that's important. I think it's, uh, we've seen some of that reflected in the people that have come and talked. Yeah, and, and I would like to just, um agree with what Jason said about having it in the States. So I don't, I don't know if, if you know about this, but um, there are a lot of um, high profile curlers who are out and queer um, in Canada. Um, they're like at the top of their playing, they're, they play the national tournaments, they're the skip, the like head of their team. Um, but in the United States, there's like, I, I, I don't know any like high profile curlers who are out. Um, and so I think it's really nice to have something in the, in the States so that, that people know that, you know, here we exist. That a lot um, in Team DC, you know, if for no other reason um, that there's somebody somewhere who's looking around trying to see themselves reflected in an athletic, context and we just want people to know that you know there are people out here that um you can find or you can reach out to so it's we always appreciate when clubs like the potomac curling club who were not maybe necessarily formed as an lgbtq specific organization or that wasn't necessarily part of their original mission but they go out of their way to take steps to make sure that um you know part of their part of their club persona is um, making it known how welcoming they are and how important it is to them that they value their LGBTQ members, fans, allies, et cetera. So we are once again, happy to have you guys. Thank Thanks. You. <laughs> We're excited to join. <laughs> so 
um, can you share a little bit of your, you know, stories of y'all playing curling? Do you have any special moments or any uh, personal uh, stories that you like to talk about? Sure. I mean, I can go like with my curling bio. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I actually coming up this coming winter, I'm going to have started curling for the first time 20 years ago. Wow. Um, <laughs> so like, I'm a really long-term curler. I started, um, when I saw it on the Olympics, um, I started when I was in high school, um, and I've played like in different places across the country I've, as I've moved around the country for like jobs and, and school and stuff. Um, and, um, I guess a, a couple things that I've done when I'm curling, um, I I've played at club nationals a couple times. Um, which is like the the club level national event. Um, there's the like other nationals that like goes to the Olympics, but this is like the lower tier. Um, and then I'd say the other highlight of my curling career is getting glitter bomb spiel up and running. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's awesome. Um, Jay, I mean Jason, I don't want to cut you off if there's anything specific you want to share. Oh sure. Uh, do you want just like a? Well, how long have you been curling? I started after what the 2010 Olympics uh, and then so I probably had a solid eight years of curling uh, and then I'm sort of on a hiatus for school so like I'll come back and curl for glitter uh, but I can't play in leagues because well I have class at that time yeah. so, uh, I'm well, so is that sorry sorry is that how you got interested or how you find that most people come out and get interested as they see it in the Olympics oh yeah like because uh, I mean, in Canada, people grow up with it. Well, well, some people grow up with it, but in the States, like we all see this sport on the Winter Olympics, just <laughs> like what's going on. Someone's like running, running down a rock. Someone's yelling at them. Uh, you don't know what's going on, but you get like deeply invested in it quickly, <laughs> even though you have no idea what the rules are and uh, was out at the park one day. And there was a flyer up outside the disc golf course, like come learn to curl. And this was a different club. So I went and then they just couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> ah, well, that's fantastic. I, I know Gabe and I are both rugby players and rugby is like, I think more well-known now than curling is. But when I first started playing rugby well over 20 years ago, it was, um, I had never heard of the sport until I got to, I got to college. I had never even heard of it. Um, and now, you know, people are playing it in high school, middle school, all over the country. So these sports, they really have a way of taking on a life of their own and just growing in popularity. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now, there are just curling clubs popping up in every single corner of the country. That would be very nice. Uh, that is sort of what we hope for. I guess it has to be places that have uh, good access to ice. So you mentioned earlier, Laura, that the ice for curling is special. What makes it special? Yeah. Um, so, uh, curling ice is like pristine. Um, like you can't have any like little nicks in it. You can't have dust on it, <laughs> um, because it will throw the stones off course. So that actually ties into the name of the glitter bomb spiel <laughs> because <laughs> glitter on the ice would actually be really, really bad. <laughs> um, so we kind of just, I, we chose the name, um, kind of you know, for fun reasons, glitter bomb. Um, but uh, we we definitely say the glitter is in our hearts, but not on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. And, and like, I don't know anything about this, but so I assume that it's harder. I mean, like the guy goes out with the Zamboni at the, at the hockey game, but you're saying that does not make the ice clean enough to curl on. No. So they have special equipment um, called a scraper, which just like scrapes like a small, like fraction of an inch off the ice each time to keep it clean. Then you take all that snow and you throw it out. And then somebody comes with um, like a little sprinkler almost. It's called a pebbler. And they put like little dots of water on the ice to make the rock run um, smoothly along the ice. Oh, it's it's really it's really yeah. fascinating to watch. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I believe the ice is also kept colder than hockey ice. Because uh, I okay. think hockey ice needs to be just a hair softer for their skates to dig in. And we keep ours colder to, uh, to maintain that uh, running surface. Gotcha. Yeah, did you do? Did you have a hard time learning how to run on ice? Uh, not too bad. Uh, I learned on an arena, so like hockey ice. Uh, and you, you kind of you walk like a ping penguin. You just sort of <laughs> you shift your weight forward and just sort of move that way. And you just remember that like you can't stop fast. Uh, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. That doesn't sound so easy to me. One of my personal favorite parts of curling is sliding. So like when you have that Teflon slider on, you can just like slide so fast <laughs> down the ice and and it's super fun. So you almost like you can either run with your two grippers on or you can slide on your Teflon slider. And so that's really fun. <laughs> right, like so I said. Laura and I started, <laughs> if Laura and I started now, do you think we'll be able to play in January? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you, can, you can play almost when, immediately. Well, more importantly, when will I be ready to make the Olympic team? Approximately <laughs> <laughs> how long do I have to curl? <laughs> Probably a good 15 years of really hard practice. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I don't have 15 years left in me, but, you know, Gabe and I are on a mission to find a um, a an Olympic event that retired uh, athletes can participate. <laughs> you can definitely participate in, and you can definitely play at a high level, but making it to the Olympics is that extra bit that I think is really difficult. <laughs> Laura, I, I hear what you're saying is you don't have a lot of faith in either Gabe nor I's raw <laughs> talent for the sport of curling. So there, there actually is um, an, an NFL team that's trying to make it into curling now and they're having mixed success like they're they're playing at a high level um but they're they're not at olympic caliber yet so yeah so. i'm not sure why the <laughs> uh, the skills involved in nfl are translatable to curling um i think maybe the sweeping it it has a lot of um like upper body um movement <laughs> they're just really strong yeah <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. But that sounds like a very NFL driven sort of attitude that like, I'm strong, I can do it. <laughs> I'm not sure I buy it that that's that that's all that uh, transferable. But that's just me. Although if you are interested in the Olympics, I mean, you may not be able to play in the Olympics, but at least in the States, it's such a small community that like, depending upon which tournament you go to, you legitimately can play against Olympians. <laughs> ah well see that's something i mean how many people can say you know like their soccer or flag even if they were varsity in high school or college be like you yeah I, I went to a tournament and held my own against an olympian 
Yeah, probably very few. I'm gonna. You can gonna you can honestly beat an Olympian, um, because they'll be playing with their like Tuesday night team. You know, they're they're friends. <laughs> you can beat them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm totally in favor of the camp where um when you watch the Olympics, you need the average person to go in. And I agree. Show you how hard the sport really is. I 100% agree. I would be. I might volunteer to be that person. Does that because that sort of counts as being in the Olympics? <laughs> Except for like the ski jump, like. Yeah, like most things I could, I would try, but ski jump as an average person, no. Diving, <laughs> no. I mean, honestly, almost anything that goes high: skateboarding, <laughs> snowboarding, anything that could cause me to break my neck really easily. Um, all right, well, Laura and Jason, this has been a pleasure. We want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And before we let you go, tell everybody where they can go to find more information about the Potomac Curling Club or to find information about coming out to learn how to curl. Uh, the best place for that is to go to curldc.org. Um, the website has all the leagues, uh, registration, uh, membership, um, and the different tournaments we have each year. Um, you can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, we have at CurlDC um, as, um, as our handles. And then um, if you also want to follow Glitter Bombspiel, um, they, ha they have accounts on both Twitter and Instagram at Glitter Bombspiel, G-L-T-T-R-B-O-M-B-S-P-I-E-L. <laughs> very long fantastic and do you guys have spectators at any of your events if people just wanted to come out and watch yeah actually at a lot of the tournaments uh you know one we like to when we're not on the ice we will watch each other and plenty of friends and families will come up and cheer for uh the teams that that, uh, that they know that are playing all right well gabe i think we know where we're going to be next january I know. We got to start training now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you mean training our cheers and coordinating yeah. our outfits and making our signs, right? <laughs> and sweeping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All I'm right. Thanks we'll, again. We'll love to have you. Absolutely. Thanks again, Laura and Jason. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank sure you. Thing. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members, Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.